Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. One of our favorite subjects is the subject of sports. More than 350 sets of brothers have played in the major leagues since the 1870s, and we're talking about baseball. But few have had the skill, the charisma, or the success of the DiMaggio brothers, Jolton Joe, Dom, and Vince. Here to tell the story is the four-time New York Times bestseller author, Tom Clavin. He'll be sharing stories from his book, The DiMaggio's, Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball, and Their Pursuit of the American Dream. Here's Clavin. The DiMaggio's is about family. That's the reason why I wrote the book. It's dedicated to my own family. I'd actually turned down the opportunity to write The DiMaggio's twice. I was not interested. I thought that uh, Richard Ben Kramer had done the book on the DiMaggio's uh, because of his biography of Joe DiMaggio and a hero's life. I'm not a big fan of that book, but I figured it would be pretty thorough, and what else could I do? The third time that my agent suggested that I do a book on the DiMaggio's, all three brothers, I agreed to look into it, mostly just so I could get him off my back and he could stop suggesting that. And uh, I started to do some research. I mean, like most people, I maybe didn't even know there were two other DiMaggio brothers, or I knew that there was Dominic in Boston. But I didn't know about Vince at all. And it is kind of remarkable 
that you had three brothers playing at the same time. Not unheard of. I mean, we know about the Alou brothers, for example, and we had other brothers who played at the same time. With the DiMaggio's, my first stop was after doing some initial research is I made an appointment with Dominic DiMaggio Jr. and went up to see him. He had taken over his father's factory manufacturing business uh, in the Boston area. And uh, I went up to see him and spent the day with him talking about his father. And I came away realizing that, and many writers would not want to say something like this, my agent was right. There was a terrific story here, and it went way beyond Joe DiMaggio, uh, which I was very glad for, because even though I was born and raised a Yankees fan, my father's favorite player was Joe DiMaggio. Again, a Joe DiMaggio biography didn't interest me. So I wrote a book that really is from the viewpoint of family. Uh, Giuseppe and Rosalie coming over from Italy, uh, barely could speak English, becoming a fisherman in the San Francisco area, raising nine children, uh, the last three of whom were Vincent DiMaggio, Joe DiMaggio, and the baby Dominic DiMaggio. And those are the three that became baseball players. They weren't carbon copies of each other. They all three loved baseball. It's interesting that the Giuseppe and Rosalie had had six children, and then they had uh, Vincent. And Vincent was passionate about baseball, and he was talented. And he, I mean, the father Giuseppe forbade his children to play baseball. And, uh, and so when Joe was a teenager, he couldn't play, or he would have to play in secret. When Dominic was very young, he couldn't play, or the mother would sometimes cover for them. But Vincent was very blatant about it. He wanted to play baseball. That's what he wanted to do with his life. And when Giuseppe kept being obstinate about it, what Vincent did is he ran away. Some kids run away and join the circus. Vincent ran away to join a baseball team. And he started playing in leagues up and down the uh, up and down California, up and down the West Coast, into Oregon and Washington. Uh, eventually made it to the Pacific Coast League, which was almost a major league caliber. Uh, one of the enjoyments for me of writing the book, The DiMaggio's, was that all three brothers uh, played first in the Pacific Coast League before going on to the major leagues. Anyway, Vincent went off to play baseball, and he was gone for about two years, and he came back to the family home in the San Francisco area. And uh, his father basically had his arms crossed and said, so you come back, you probably have no money, and you've been a big failure, and now you're ready to be a fisherman just like your father, just like your brothers, well, two of the brothers anyway. And instead, Vincent reached into his pocket and put something like uh, you know $6,000 cash on the table, that's why I earned playing baseball. And Giuseppe took a look at that, and he went to Joe, and he said, what are you going to start playing baseball? Well, Joe is ready, willing, and able to jump right in. And he also started playing for local teams and for the Pacific Coast League. And he quickly outdistanced Vincent. Now, we should really give credit to Vincent here because he had the courage to follow his dream, and it was because of that the door got cracked open for Joe DiMaggio. If it had not been for Vincent, we would ne might never know Joe DiMaggio, a Hall of Fame player, winner of nine World Series titles. So Joe started to play in the Pacific Coast League, and it was in the Pacific Coast League that he had a 61-game hitting streak. I mean, we know about the, longer, the, the long hitting streak he had in Major League Baseball, but he had his longest one of his career was in the Pacific Coast League. Meanwhile, Vincent does get called up to the major leagues. Uh, I believe his first team he played for was the Pittsburgh Pirates. He eventually played for the Philadelphia Phillies. 
but it was with the Pirates that he had a couple of all-star seasons. He was a very good defensive outfielder, probably during his years in the National League, the best center fielder in the National League. And he was a pretty decent hitter, and he made the all-star team in a couple of years. Uh, Joe came up with the Yankees in 1936, was his rookie season. And he and DiMaggio were on great Yankee teams that won the pennant in 36, 37, 38, 39. You know, four straight pennants, four straight World Series, as it turned out, too. So Joe right away got used to winning, and he was an all-star every year. And then what about Dominic DiMaggio, the youngest one? He was called, also nicknamed the professor. He had these thick glasses. Nobody thought of him as a baseball player. He had to really go against a lot of stereotypes to eventually work his way through the Pacific Coast League. And then into Major League Baseball, where he was signed by the... The Yankees had a chance to sign him, and they passed. They didn't think he was you know, anything like his brother. And he was not Joe DiMaggio, but he was Dominic DiMaggio, and he was a darn good ball player. And I happen to think uh, should have been given more consideration for the Hall of Fame. But he was taken by the Boston Red Sox, and he had uh, uh, nine all-star seasons. He played 13 seasons, uh, played from about 1940 to 53, uh, 52, I think. And he made the all-star team nine, uh, seven times, excuse me. Uh, Joe had made the all-star team 13 times and Vincent twice. So he had the three brothers between the three of them made 22 all-star teams. That's a remarkable level of achievement for any family. And their careers took different paths. Now, in Vincent's case, uh, by the time World War II ended, he was done with baseball. Uh, He still played. He just kept playing in less accomplished and smaller leagues and eventually ended up back on the the West Coast. And he had a troubled post-baseball career. Uh, Alcoholism, uh, couldn't, was having a hard time holding a job. So he's also kind of like a story of the American dream, like the DiMaggio family was, that his, his dream was to play baseball, and he accomplished it. It was outside of baseball that he had trouble, you know, dealing with life. Joe, as we know, was a great leader of the Yankees. He did miss three seasons because of World War II. Uh, I discuss in the book some of the controversy about that because he had to be sort of dragged, kicking and screaming into the military service. But he's a guy who was about to make $100,000 and studies making $240 a month being in the Army. Uh, when he got out of the service, when World War II ended, the Yankees again won the pennant in 47, uh, 49, 50, 51. Uh, Joe with diminishing skills. And then uh, he retired after the 51 season. Uh, by, by this time, Mickey Mantle was on the Yankees and a, a, a new era uh, began for the Yankees. Joe had a pretty uh, famous post-baseball career. He was always introduced as the greatest living ball player, much to the uh, detriment and sort of amusement of Ted Williams. When you look at their respective statistics, Ted Williams far outdistanced Joe DiMaggio. He just didn't have nine World Series titles. And you're listening to Tom Clavin, and he's sharing stories from his book, The DiMaggio's Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball, and their pursuit of the American dream. When we come back, more of the story of the DiMaggio brothers here on Our American Stories. 
Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with the story of the DiMaggio brothers here on Our American Stories. 
Let's return to Tom Clavin. Joe and Dominic were very close brothers. They really loved each other. They were also very fierce competitors, and it didn't help that they were both considered the best set of fielders in the American League. In the case of uh, how they loved each other, I think one example is the 1941 season. It also shows that Ted Williams cared so much for Dominic and for Joe, too, even though they were very much rivals. But in the uh, in 1941 season, Joe was doing his 56-game hitting streak. And out in the outfield, uh, when they were at Fenway Park, you had Ted Williams in left and Dominic in center. And usually, in those days, games were played you know, in the daytime. And it was hard for finding out, uh, you know, what was going on in the game that was being played at the exact same time. So Ted uh, basically bribed the scorekeeper who was behind the, the, the green wall in, in, in Fenway Park to uh, listen to radio or some kind of way to get information from the New York game. And whenever Joe got a hit, he would yell it out to Ted, who in turn would yell it over to Dominic in center field. And Dominic paid attention very fiercely to every moment that, that he could get his hands on of the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak. I think one way that they were competitors is that uh, one illustration of this. In 1948, the Yankees, the Indians, and the Red Sox are all competing for the American League pennant. Yankee, the Red Sox have won it in 46, the Yankees have won it in 47, and now you had these upstart Indi- Cleveland Indians. And as it happened, uh, Dominic had been dating a woman named Emily, and they had made plans to marry. And they uh, planned to get married in October 1948. And uh, Joe DiMaggio calls his mother, and his mother is expressing some concern that uh, what happens if the Red Sox win the pennant and Dominic won't be able to get married when he's supposed to. And Joe says, don't worry, Mom, I'll I'll personally take care of it, make sure Dominic's available for his wedding. And sure enough, on the last weekend of the season, Joe demolishes uh, the, the Red Sox and the Cleveland Indians win the pennant. And um, Dominic is sent home in time to get married with, of course, Joe as his best man. I think another good example of their competitiveness is that in 1949, uh, Dominic had a hitting streak of his own going on. I mean, he, he ended up, of all, of all the people... In all of baseball, Joe's own brother is the one coming the closest to his 56-game hitting streak. And it's up to 37 games. So Dominic only has another 19 games to go. He'll at least tie his brother. And uh, they're actually, the Yankees are playing the Red Sox of all places, of all teams. And uh, Dominic is, is 0 for 3. And he gets up again. It's going to be his last, unless there's an amazing comeback, it's going to be his last at-bat of the game. And he sends a screamer to the left center field gap. And in a brilliant play, who chases it down but Joe DiMaggio robbing his brother of a base hit and breaking his brother's 37-game hitting streak. They used to keep score, too. I, I should mention this. How many times one robbed a hit from the other. And by the end of their careers, Dominic actually, by an easy margin, had outscored his brother Joe and who, who, who stole a hit from the other one by their play in center field. So they loved each other very much, and they did. It was a lifelong thing. The biggest claim to fame for Joe after his career as a baseball player was marrying Marilyn Monroe. That marriage lasted only nine months. And um, there's, I think, uh, information in my book about the Joe-Marilyn relationship that you won't find other places. And a big reason for that is because I had access to members of the DiMaggio family. There are quite a few of them did not participate in the Richard Ben Kramer 
Joe DiMaggio biography, I think because they got and I, a sense from him that it was going to be rather critical. Uh, my book is not pro-DiMaggio, anti-DiMaggio. It's the story about the family. Even to the point where Dominic and Emily, his wife, they really liked Marilyn Monroe. They thought she was a wonderful girl. They thought she and Joe were wrong for each other. But they could see that they were in love, and, and they were fully supportive of Joe getting married to Marilyn, if that's what he wanted. Now, we know that the marriage lasted only nine months, I think, in 1954, and they broke up and went their separate ways. But apparently they still had a strong attraction to each other because what most people don't know, and uh, I learned this from Emily DiMaggio, who, again, is the only one of that generation still alive. She's in her 90s now. That, uh, that Marilyn and Joe used to have these secret rendezvous up at Dominic and Emily's place up in, in, uh, in the Boston area in Massachusetts. This was in the 1950s. And every so often, somebody would somebody from the press would wonder, uh, was that a DiMaggio sighting? And they would stake out the Dominic-Emily uh, house in, in the Boston area. So sometimes they would have to, Dominic would get into, disguise as Joe, would get into Joe's car and drive it around a little while. Meanwhile, Emily would and would get a cab for Joe and Marilyn to take them to the train station so they could head back to New York. Uh, that went on until Marilyn met Arthur Miller, and then it, the, all the hanky-panky with Joe ended, as far as we know. Uh, so Joe had uh, already a failed marriage, and as his life went on, he became more and more disenchanted with his fame, uh, it seemed, with life in general. He had a very difficult relationship with his only child, Joe DiMaggio Jr. You can imagine what that was like for... For him, being Joe DiMaggio Jr. and always being compared to his father, he tried and did not become a baseball player. He did become a join the Marine Corps, but he also drifted a lot. He was more like his brother Vince; uh, couldn't quite uh, uh, get traction on the rest of his life. And when Joe died, it was a national headlines all over the place, of course, because he was an icon. You know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? He was in songs. Uh, he was lionized in the press. He, he always got good press, even though in a lot of ways he couldn't stand the press. But what about Dominic? Now, in the case of Dominic DiMaggio, I believe it's fair for me to say that I did not start this book with the idea that he would become really more the central character or, or coming out of the book as my sort of hero. But what happened was, I think as I got to know Dominic from talking to his children, and thankfully, his widow was still alive. Uh, she was 90-ish. But I was able to visit with her several times, have many conversations with her. She was the keeper of the DiMaggio family history. She was the only one of the nine DiMaggio children and their spouses. She was the only one of that generation still alive. She had married Dominic in 1948, so she was there while Dominic was still at the prime of his career. Dominic joined the Red Sox in 1940. He also missed three seasons uh, because he was in the, in the Navy. And um, after World War II, he came back and he was just getting into his prime, unlike his brothers Joe and Vincent, who were starting to get past their prime after the war. He was just getting into his prime as a ball player. I mean, the Red Sox had great teams in the mid to late 40s. Uh, you know, you had, you had Dominic DiMaggio, who was considered a better center fielder than his brother. Uh, he was not a power hitter like his brother. He was usually batting in the first or second spot, followed by people like Johnny Pesky and Bobby Doerr, uh, Vern Stevens, um, Jimmy Fox. There were a lot of really good Red Sox players alongside Dominic. Dominic, right from the beginning after his marriage, emphasized family. That was what was most important to me. He loved baseball. 
but he always made sure that at the end, after every game, he got came home and came home to his family. He and his wife had three children, um, Dominic and Peter were the boys, uh, and Emily Jr. was the girl. And uh, when Dominic, when it was time for him, when the writing was on the wall that his career was winding down, he walked away. And he, be, he bought a manufacturing company and became an extremely successful businessman. And to me, that's an important part of the book, too, is the post-baseball career of Dominic DiMaggio. Because he knew he was always going to be in the shadow of his brother as a ball player, but he was not in the shadow of his brother as a man or as a family man, as a husband or a father. Uh, he became quite wealthy. He and his wife were very, very involved in charities, philanthropic work in the Boston area. He remained a legendary figure in Boston. And he lived until he was, uh, I believe, 92 when Dominic died, surrounded by family. And it's no coincidence that the very last word of the book is family. That's what the book, to me, was about, the DiMaggio's. It was, you know, the subtitle is Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball, Their Pursuit of the American Dream. I think it sums it up, the subtitle because it was the, the family's pursuit of the American dream. It was the passion of those three brothers for baseball. And it was their, their love and sometimes disturbing relationship with each other. Joe being the superhero, Vincent being viewed in a lot of ways as a failure. But Dominic, not the Hall of Favor, though I think he should have gotten more consideration, but probably most successful as a human being. Than, than the brothers because he had this long enduring marriage of well over 60 years with his wife the three children his son takes over the manufacturing company uh, his daughter becomes a, a writer an accomplished person as, as Peter's other son becomes an accomplished person and so I just found myself as I was writing the book more and more gravitating towards Dominic's story and I think that if people want even not baseball fans I think that they would enjoy the book because it's really a story about the American dream and it's a story about family. And great job, as always, to Greg Hengler for bringing us this story and a special thanks to Tom Clavin. By the way, get his book, The DiMaggio's Three Brothers, Their Passion for Baseball and Their Pursuit of the American Dream. The DiMaggio Brothers, their story here on Our American Stories. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.